Mount Rushmore Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 39, uh, and it's our Forbidden Door review show slash uh, episode two of This or That. Um, how are we feeling, gentlemen? We're coming off a, a pretty decent pay-per-view last night. We had some highs, we had some lows, we had some uh, interesting matches and interesting moments throughout the card. Uh, obviously the matches that we thought, uh, would deliver did deliver. So, um, how are we feeling after half of the pay-per-view last night? I definitely think the, uh, lowest of lows was, uh, worse than the higher of highs. That's for sure. Um, feeling good though. You know, this is episode 39. The greatest WrestleMania of all time is WrestleMania 39. So let's, ah, let's make it a good true. one. Let's make it a good one today. <laughs> Yeah, interesting pay-per-view. I will say the lowest of the lows ended up being one of the funniest <laughs> moments, so we'll get into that. But overall, a fairly decent roller coaster ride type of a pay-per-view. Uh, let's just say this. We did not show up drunk to work like it seems some of the employees did last night to <laughs> Forbidden Door, but we will get into that. Uh, Sean, you have the on this day today, so rock with what you got. Yes. All right. So on this day, we're recording on June 26th. Uh, we're going to go to Vengeance 2005, one of my personal favorites. Ah. Really good match card. So there were sub-in-total matches, but I'll run down the final four, which are the most relevant, like, meaningful ones. Kane defeated Edge with Lita in a singles match. That was 11 minutes and 20 seconds. Shawn Michaels defeated Kurt Angle in a singles match. That was 26 minutes and 8 seconds. Very great match. Then we had John Cena defeating Chris Jericho and Christian, triple threat for the WWE Championship. That was 15 minutes and 18 seconds. And then the main event, you know, of course, Batista. Triple H, Hell in a Cell match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Batista retained 26 minutes and 53 seconds for that one. So very good pay-per-view overall, I feel. Yeah, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, I forgot that was at. I'll have to rewatch that, Vengeance. Yeah, that, that's a good pay-per-view. I remember having that DVD because the, the cover was Batista Triple H yep. uh, in the Hell in a Cell. Well, we're not going to go into too much news today. Because we want to jump right into our Forbidden Door review. And then this or that will probably take a little bit of time later. So uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to go back match by match. Shout out to Sean and I. Uh, both only got one wrong, but the one we got wrong a piece was only worth one point, so we ended up tying. I would like to say I only uh, got, I got one BCC wrong as well, match. but oh, you it did? was okay. points. I got the BCC match wrong, but it was points. I had five on it, so I got the BCC wrong. I only had one on it, and I believe Sean picked Okada for one. Yep, correct. So yep. those are the only matches we had wrong. So pretty good by us uh, last night in terms of predicting. We did a really good job. Um. Before the, what I will say about the game slash the card last night, Adam Cole was scrapped due to an illness. So uh, Tom Lawler ended up in another match against Serpentico, which we didn't even see. I don't even know when that went on because we had the zero hour on at seven o'clock and the match was not shown. So I don't know where that match was, but maybe it was before they got on the air. Who knows? The first match on the Zero Hour was uh, Mogul Embassy, and they defeated Chaos, which was uh, Swerve, uh, Toa Leona, Brian Cage, Bishop Khan against Chaos, which is Rocky Romero, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, and Al Desperado. That match was 12 minutes. It wasn't a terrible match. It was an okay start to the Zero Hour. 
I actually didn't think any of these matches on the Zero Hour were actually that bad of matches. Obviously, on a pre-show, I think you can only do so much with so much time. That match was 12 minutes. And then we'll go through these three quickly, guys. Uh, and then Athena defeated Billy Starks by pinfall in the, in the first run of the Women's Owen Hart Cup. That was 7 minutes, 50 seconds. El Fantasmo defeated Stu Grayson. In a singles match, 7 minutes, 15 seconds. And then <laughs> we had Los and Gobernables de Japón, which was Shingo Takagi, Bushi, and Hiromu Takahashi. And they defeated United Empire, which is Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and TJP. That was also 7 minutes and 30 seconds. So one, two, three, four matches on the zero hour. So a lot, a lot in a little amount of time, but none of them were really bad matches. Anything you guys want to say about the Zero Hour? Any highlights? Nothing really to add. <laughs> Get to the main card. <laughs> lot, Moving lot on. To talk about Here on we the main go. Card. Here we go. <laughs> we're starting off hot. Uh, the first match of the night was MJF opening against Hiroshi Tanahashi. This match was 15 minutes and 30 seconds. MJF ended up winning with the Dynamite Diamond Ring to beat Tanahashi. What I will say is this. I'm sure people watched Collision and noticed Tanahashi has not been looking his best. I guess he looked better in this match than he did on Collision, but it wasn't saying much. There must be something in the water in Japan, because every time he went up to the top turnbuckle, he uh, looked like he was trying to gain his balance for quite a long time. Like he's never they wrestled say they, before. They, they say moonshine is a very popular <laughs> drink. There. But it, it looked like he was trying to gain his balance for every single time. And he went up to, to the top rope a lot. Uh, this match was nothing memorable. What I will say is this. It's probably as good as you could get, I guess, out of this match. If that's what you're asking for. Like, I don't think they could do much better because of you know, the, the status of, of Tanahashi in terms of how much he can go. For me, it, it seemed like it did the job for what it was supposed to do. Wasn't going to be a great match. MJF ended up winning, and, you know, he got the hell out of Dodge right after the match and cut a promo and said he was fucking leaving. So, I don't know. It was a fine match. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was good. I thought it was just okay. Yeah, it was uh, exactly what I thought it would be, at least. I mean... Tanahashi, like you said about what whatever is in the waters in New Japan, I don't know what it is, but all of the New Japan guys are in the same exact shape. I'll say that, which is not in <laughs> well, shape. Pretty, which pretty much, which, eight which is guys. not in shape. If they're forty plus. I mean, like MJF said, the dude's legs are bow legged; he can't move. I think it might have been a little bit of a disservice putting MJF against him because it really couldn't show off MJF's talents because he's become like an incredible wrestler. Um, but I mean, it is what expected. We knew MJF was going to win. We knew it wasn't going to be that good. I think my favorite part of the match was MJF playing the air guitar. Um, but yeah, nothing crazy to go over in this match. It was just, it was, it was probably about a three out of 10 for me. It wasn't very exciting. I, I, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, I'd probably say 3 out of 10 as well. Like Sometimes simple is just better at this point. There's only so much MJF can do to carry somebody. 
And, you know, they didn't really do many spots on there. Like, the turnbuckle was probably the most memorable spots they were doing with, like, the superplexes. And Tanahashi was struggling out there. And MGF could only use his strength to just get it done. And then a couple, like, some cool moves here and there on MGF's part. But other than that, this was not memorable. And it's an unfortunate situation because I think, honestly, Ishii would have been a better opponent for MJF than Tanahashi, personally. The guy that was in um, the Elite um match but i think but it is what it is mgf clearly didn't want to be there so he got out of the way they went on first he went on his private jet or whatever he has and then went right back to new york so what i'll say is it. this about this match let's just hope this run of uh world title matches for hiroshi tanahashi at forbidden door mm-hmm. ends this year and next year it's not him challenging for another world championship let's just say that <laughs> uh, the next match was CM Punk against Satoshi Kojima, not to be confused with, as Chris <laughs> said, Okajima. Uh, CM Punk wins this match, 13 minutes, 40 seconds. This match, what I will say about this match is the atmosphere was very good for CM Punk. And I think going into the match, he was supposed to be a face. And then I think he worked the match as a heel. <clears throat> and then I think he came back out of it as a face. So... I thought it was very interesting kind of throughout, and it's still going to be, that'll be the biggest question kind of moving forward, what their plan is to do for CM Punk in terms of keeping him a face as the face of collision. He needs to be a heel, I think, in in many aspects, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I, I was fine with the match. I didn't think, again, I did not think it was good. I didn't think it was great. I would, if I'm giving it out of 10, I would say it was a 5 out of 10 because I thought the atmosphere was pretty good for this match. Yeah, this was another match that was very predictable. But like you said about the atmosphere, I definitely think the crowd kind of took over that match and played a big role in that match because CM Punk is such a better heel than he is a face. And you could see by his mannerisms out there that he was really trying to play into what the crowd was doing, which was booing him the entire match. So he was playing into that. He was playing like he was the bad guy, even though he is supposed to be a face. But I think this is what he needs. I think he definitely needs these crowds to boo him for a period of time to to make sure he's a heel going forward because he needs this. He needs to go against the crowd. And, you know, if they don't like him right now, play with that. You, you can't go against what the crowd is going for. So it was expected. I'm with Jeremy, probably like a five out of 10. It definitely wasn't as bad as I thought it would be as far. Like, I didn't really know Kojima. I know he's a little bit older, but like, I might be biased because I'm a CM Punk fan, but I I always get excited about CM Punk matches, regardless who he's facing. So I was fine with the match. I was fine with the result. It wasn't really that bad. And I'm glad that the crowd was actually into it as well. Yeah. Yeah, this one I'd probably give like a 4 out of 10. It was slightly better than the MGF one. Um, you know, unfortunately, CM Punk clearly is not what he used to be. But I will give him the benefit of the doubt, though, because obviously, like, he did come back from a crazy injury. He's only getting older, and his opponent was like 52 years old or something. So it was kind of expected that this wasn't supposed to be like this big thriller. Um, but I'm with you guys as far as CM Punk, that when you are getting like a lot of heat from the crowd, you have to play into that and be a heel. And I think CM Punk is doing that very good week to week. And I think that's honestly the route he has to go. Whatever city he's in, it's it's tough because it's got to be impromptu on his part. He has to go in there and kind of cut a promo on the fly. Because if he's expecting to get booed and then he ends up getting cheered, then he has to go and cut a promo where he has to like suck up to the crowd and vice versa. So 
The match was, you know, a little better than the MJF one, but, you know, same play. I will say this. He looks better in this match than he did in the six-man tag in his debut in Collision. So I'll give him that, but this is another one that just didn't go over with me, unfortunately. Uh, for all the people wondering, CM Punk and the Elite were separated on other sides of the building for this event. Babies. Uh, the Prima Donnas continue to reign supreme in AEW. Uh, don't get me wrong, like Punk is not in the right in this situation either. But sometimes you just gotta do business and just get it over with. I don't want to talk about it too much, but it is fucking stupid that I had to hear that. Uh, the next match was the Fatal 4-Way International Championship match. This was an interesting one. I thought it was going to be way better and definitely longer than it was. So it was only 11 minutes and 15 seconds. We'll talk about some other matches that probably should have been cut a little shorter. Uh, so it was Orange Cassidy retains against Zack Sabre Jr., Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. <sighs> Daniel Garcia, man, I, I I was listening to reviews people of people last night, and they said this match was fantastic, and Daniel Garcia is fantastic. That's how you know you have differing views than a lot of people is. If they're thinking that, we are not watching the same shit, I'll tell you that. Uh, Daniel Garcia was the worst part of this match, and he's the worst part of every match that he's in. Specifically, this match is because... He was doing that fucking humping hip hip gyration thing. The, the hula and then, shit. And then he was doing it back into a straight-faced persona. His character is completely, like, fucking lost. And, yeah. It, he's an okay wrestler, but Daniel Gar- I can do without Daniel Garcia. Uh, some highlights in this match. Obviously, Orange got a lot of offense, but... The MVP of this match was probably Zack Sabre Jr. I thought he impressed, like we thought, but I thought he impressed a lot. Had some great counters, great submissions in here. And, you know, it has you wondering, and it seemed after the match, you know, he got in the face of Orange, so maybe they'll have uh, a continued feud and continue for the belt. And this match was very entertaining, but it was only 11 minutes, and I thought it was going to go a little bit longer. Orange ended up sneaking... uh, away the win. I forget who he threw Shibata out of the ring and then covered. Was it Daniel Garcia? Garcia, I think because Daniel Garcia ate the yeah. pin. Uh, so he covered Daniel Garcia for the win. Uh, so he snuck that one out um, from Shibata and Zack Sabre jr. But all in all, right all, in all good pinned. match. Yeah. The right guy got pinned. Uh, Orange Cassidy continues his reign of, of su- supremacy these past like six months. Uh, but not as good as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was decent. This one's probably six out of ten, I would say, if we're rating it. Um, th- three out of the four are very good. Daniel Garcia is mediocre to me. Just his character alone is very vanilla. And Zack Saber Jr. is one of the best technicians in that ring. He's probably yeah one of the best technical wrestlers in the world right now. And it really showed in this match because I, I saw reversals and submissions that I've never seen before during this match. And maybe that's something he does regularly. I just don't get to see it enough because I don't watch him. But I will yeah. say this, and Jeremy said it a few times last night, Orange Cassidy is just on a different level right now. And it goes to show with his character, his in-ring ability, and the reaction he gets from a crowd. No matter who this guy faces, 
he always puts on a good match, even in a fatal four way. You, he showcased a lot of his moves, and he's another one who has some incredible uh, reversals in the ring as well. So I think it was a it was an interesting finish him capitalizing on somebody else's finisher. I will say that. But like Sean yep. said, the right guy got pinned. Daniel Garcia should eat the pin. And I wouldn't mind seeing him and Sabre Jr. going forward or even a triple threat as well with Shibata because all three of them were holding their belts in the ring at the end. So I wouldn't mind that as well. Just cut out Danny Just Garcia. Cut him out. He, yeah, he, he wasn't even anywhere to be seen once that match ended. <laughs> oh, yeah, from a technical standpoint, I would give this a 7 out of 10 because Sabre Jr. was doing things like you guys touch base on have never really been done or we that we've really witnessed. Some of the pinfall variations, like some of the backslides he was doing, he was doing like a, a different variation of it where it was so unique that I've never really seen that often. And, like, he has, like, the long legs where he's able to utilize and do different submission holds, which is really cool. Orange Cassie, I don't really need to say much on him. I know how great he is. Like, he just keeps on impressing that week to week with him. Um, I was a little surprised on the ending as far as – it was kind of like an Austin Theory type of ending where, like, he – you because, know, you know, Orange is a face. So you would think that if he was a heel, that would have made sense, taking advantage of someone else's finisher. But I was a little surprised by that. But other than that, I thought this match for the 11 minutes that it got was a pretty decent match, so I enjoyed it. The next match was Sonata defending the AEIWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Jungle Boy. This was a pretty forgettable match, honestly. I, I Going into it, I really wasn't expecting much again because I don't didn't know Sonata. This was just another plain Jane match for me, another 5 or 6 out of 10. That honestly, sometimes I even forget if I was looking at it, it was on the card. Uh, the I guess the highlight of this was Jungle Boy after the match was at the top with Hook and he ended up turning on him. So he is now heel. Uh, I still don't think they got the reaction they wanted out of the Jungle Boy turn completely. Obviously, you know, they were booing a little bit, but I don't know. Jungle Boy is... Uh, <laughs> He's in the Danny Garcia camp for me. He is absolutely nauseating to listen to. And uh, he's a great wrestler, but man, he has zero charisma. And uh, that's going to, I don't know if that's going to help him turning him heel. I guess the way they see it is this, right? If you make a change and it doesn't work, well, I guess you could always go back. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah. We'll see how it goes. But for me, this match itself, Sonata, you know, Sonata had some good offense, I think, in this match, but it was nothing to go home about. I thought it was just okay. Yeah, like you said, very forgettable. I really don't remember much from this match. The only showcase part of the match was the heel turn, which was a also very vanilla heel turn, just like his character with throwing <laughs> one clothesline. I don't know what yeah. a heel turn does for Jungle Boy, to be honest, because... I mean, he's really not doing much as a face, so what the hell is he going to do as a heel? Yeah. He can't cut a promo. He's very good in the ring. And putting him with somebody like Hook, who doesn't talk at all, what is going to come out of this feud? Not much. A whole lot of nothing. It's going to be probably a good match, I will say that. But you need... To be Jungle Cats. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to build the match with something and... You have Hook, who's very young, who, I mean, has a bright future ahead of him, but I've never heard him speak into a mic. And then you have Jungle Boy, 
who can speak into a mic, but he's terrible at it. I don't know what's going to happen there. Very forgettable. This was one of my least favorite matches on the card. Maybe call me a hater, but I'm just not a big Jungle Boy fan right now. We should do a, Sean, before you go, we should do a a worst on the mic bracket at some point as, oh. as a bit to see who the worst mic skills are. Currently. That would be a, Current that would roster. be a good bracket to make. I'll put, I will we, put we, that together yes. for us as a bit. Yeah, we could do it after that, our money in the bank. A, yeah. I will, I will do it as a bit either for after money in the bank or for next week <laughs> uh, to see if we can get that. Should together. we have, should we have an a, a W side versus actually, WWE side? I'd be for yeah. that. Yeah. And then if you want to do like the week after, we could do the top five in AEW on the mic versus the top five current in WWE on the mic as well. Like kind of do one episode for the worst and then another for the best. I think we all know want. MJF's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then it comes down to like, where's then the big drop down to second? The worst. Is so the worst large. is going to be interesting. I think, yeah, we'll do definitely do the worst. Stay, stay tuned for that as we get sidetracked. But Sean, go ahead and react to this match. So this one I probably give in between the first two matches. So I'd say three and a half out of ten for just because of the expectation. I was looking forward to this. I thought this was going to be actually a sleeper match going in because Sonata like was very impressive on like some of his past matches and highlights I've seen. But my God, he he something happened. That water down there must have been brutal because he did not perform at all to the level that he's expected to. And Jungle Boy just felt like he was coasting throughout the whole entire match. It was a sleeper match um, to sleep through. <laughs> yeah, you were right there. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Oh, and yeah, like, and then going to the heel turn. So I'm actually indifferent. I think since he's done absolutely nothing as a baby face, I think this turning him heel will be interesting. And like what you said, Jeremy, if it doesn't work, they can always go back and either write him off TV for a couple weeks mm-hmm. Or just go back to a face. But I want to see what he can do just to see if it works. Just kind of like test an experiment. I do think Taz is going to be heavily involved in this buildup. Because like you said, Chris, Hook has not touched a microphone. If he doesn't want to or wants to do little of it, I think Taz being his dad is going to have to come in there and then build some sort of a storyline. Now, I don't know how they're going to do it. But I think it's going to be a little interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. If it doesn't work, then they can always just revert back to what he was doing. But yeah, this match was not good at all. What I will say, I'm gonna stop here for a second as well. I keep seeing people hyping up this pay per view like it was a a great pay per view. I don't know about that. Like there was great individual performances and great matches, but altogether there was a lot of like mid matches on this. There card. was probably three out of ten good matches on the main card. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I'd say overall, it was probably a 5 out of 10. I think I'd give it a little bit more than that. I just, I'd, I'd give it maybe a 6, 6.5. This is, to me, two of, again, like, we, we yeah, we got to see a cool, like, Daniel Bryan Okada match, which is a one-time, like, first time ever. We got Omega and Osprey again. But, like, this is two pay-per-views in a row for AEW that really, I think, missed. Really missed. We, we, and also, ahead, can, oh, can we talk about how, like, the last two pay per views with BCC and the Elite, they've dropped I the ball? I don't think on. they dropped the ball this pay per view. I'll say that. Oh, you, I was about to say, we're about to go into that match. That was one of I the think best matches on the card. They definitely did the first one, but I think this match, I think this was probably the second best match on the card. So, this yeah. match, 
This match was the Elite versus the BCC. The Elite had Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii, and then the BCC had Takeshka and Umino on the team. This was 21-25, 21 minutes, 25 seconds. The Elite actually won this match. And this match, I, I think it was probably the third best, I guess second or third best. I'll explain the main event when we get to it and why I was a little confused and probably didn't pay attention as closely. But this match actually kept my interest the whole time, and it was very entertaining. And they had a lot of good spots, which was shocking because the first 10 minutes was basically run by John Moxley and Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston. So Moxley's a fine wrestler, but Jericho and Eddie Kingston, you do not think about as the guys that would... No, uh, not Jericho. Sorry, not, Jer not yeah, Jericho. No, no. Jesus, uh, it was Moxley, and I'm thinking of uh, Eddie Kingston, and uh, I'm thinking of Eddie Kingston and Moxley, yeah, not Jericho, yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm <laughs> mixing the matches because I'm trying not to think about Jericho. Moxley and Eddie Kingston carried like probably like a good 10 minutes of this match, from the chopping to all that stuff. Anytime Eddie Kingston is involved with carrying a match, I would never say that match is going to be a good match, but... He did what he needed to do in this match, and I thought it worked out fantastic. And everyone had their time to shine. Takeshko looks great uh, coming into this match, and he only builds on his stardom, I think, from now. And, uh, you know, Ishii looked good, and Umino, I think, was kind of forgettable in this match, but that's fine. Uh, but the other guys, you know, did really well, and I, I thought everyone had their time to shine. It's so, many, it's so interesting because when you look across AEW's roster, we talked about this last night. They have a lot of guys that are good in the ring and cannot do anything else. So Wheeler Yuta is another guy that's exactly like Daniel Garcia. That's exactly like Jungle Boy. All these guys that are good in the ring and they have zero charisma at all. Wheeler Yuta looks like he's trying to act so hard and it comes off so disingenuine to me. So... He just doesn't fit that character. I don't know what it is about him. Maybe he eventually will turn face, and maybe his character will make a little bit of sense. But he's just another plain Jane guy that I just can't get behind. And that's probably why they put him with the BCC, to kind of give him some relevancy. But the match itself, I thought was great. Yeah, even though BCC lost, which I didn't think it made sense for them to lose, and I also didn't think it made sense for Ishii to get the pinfall for the win, because... <laughs> yeah. That doesn't do much for the the elite. If it were like, you know, no. Hangman pinning somebody or one of the Bucks, I think that would have made more sense. But regardless, I think this match was fantastic. I think there was action the entire time. There was brawls outside the ring, brawls inside the ring. I think my favorite part of the match was actually when Eddie Kingston saved Moxley from getting the super kicks. I thought that was That's I right. thought that was yeah. a very cool spot in the match. Um but like you said, there's there's guys in that match who are just very vanilla as far as characters, but great in the ring. And it did make for a great match. I think Claudio yeah. Claudio's a guy who's very good, who is just another one who can't speak and can't can't get over with the crowd. Um Moxley's hilarious. I, I think he he should go on a singles run again <laughs> at some point. Um just his mannerisms. <laughs> He's such a jackass. Everything about him is Everything, everything about him is great. Everything. And it, it was also funny at the end of the match, 
you can never really tell if Eddie Kingston is in character or if it's he's actually just a prick. But him like shrugging off the bucks, not talking to them, walking back by himself. I thought that was hilarious too. So yeah, I, I hope it was real. I, if it's real, I don't think Adam uh, Hangman Page gives a shit because I think he'd beat yeah, the yeah, shit yeah. out of Eddie Kingston. <laughs> He's a legit tough <laughs> That's guy. That's another guy in this match. That's another guy in this match. Hangman did really yeah, well. Yeah, I, I think the match though. This was built for a moment for Takeshka. I think, yep. th- like he showcased the m- the most in this match, and I th- I do think that he is a future star in this company. So I will I will end it there. But I think this match was really good. I think it was probably an eight out of ten for me. Yeah, so it was a good match. But let me just go back and preference my comments as far as why I thought they dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm only thinking they dropped the ball only because of the addition of Eddie Kingston and Ishii. That, that's the only reason why. Because I don't think they had any belonging in this match at all. Maybe I'm biased. I'm just not an Eddie Kingston fan at all. So even when he does semi-decent, I try and like shrug it, I try and shrug it off. Um, Heyman did his thing. Takeshi did his thing. The Young Bucks, they always do their thing. So by default, this is probably, for me, the third best match on the card. Um, it was decent back and forth, but um, Eddie Kingston got a lot of wrestling time, which I was not really a fan of. Um, and I agree with you what you said, Chris. That Ishii should not have gone that pinfall. I think it should have been yeah. one of the box. The, the, the reason I think they didn't do that is because Kenny wasn't involved. So right. I think they took a took it away from being like the elite versus really the elite versus the BCC, and and rather it be like a five on five. Right. I don't think this really like has anything to do with storylines at all. That's the and thing. And I don't think that, I don't think there's any conclusion to right. what their rivalry right. is at the moment. Cuz the the elite yeah. the elite and aren't going to go out the, there. So the elite aren't going to go out there and be like, "Oh, we beat you. Ishi pinned you guys. We we we're we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're even." Like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. But yeah, Takeshi is a future star. I, lo- I love the aligning with Don Callis. It's brilliant. WWE needs to take a page out of that playbook, by t- especially Asuka, <laughs> hint, hint. But, you know, hopefully they'll go there up. But it's a great pairing because Don Callis can be the mouthpiece. Takeshi can just do the in-ring ability. That guy is one of the most well-rounded guys going for AEW right now. So it's good to see, like, his ascension right now. The next match was the women's match was Tony Storm. Versus Willow Nightingale uh, for the AEW Women's World Championship. This match was another match that was honestly pretty decent. I, d- I did not think it was a bad match. I just think it was short on time. I don't think anything special happened in the match, but I thought they did what they needed to do. They went in there, got some good offense, both of them. I think Willow's a pretty decent wrestler, and Tony Storm is your champion, so I think they did what they needed to do. But again, I think this was really a placeholder match for the match that was supposed to probably happen here with Jamie Hayter and Mercedes Monet. So, you know, it is what it is, but it was fine. <laughs> I, I had no gripes about the match. I didn't have anything to applaud about it, but I didn't have any gripes with it, really. I think the match for me definitely exceeded my expectations of it. And when I first saw Willow, I was never really like a fan but I will say that I, I do respect her and her work. I think she is making me a fan. I think she's better than a lot of people think that she is. And I will say this. I don't know, like, you know, how how tall she is, how big she is. Tony Storm picked her up, no, like, very easy in this match. I will say that. Yep. So it was, it was yeah. what it was. 
I think we all knew that Tony was not losing her women's championship this night. And, you know, it, it, it was fine. It was, it was a good match to get us through to the next one. Yeah. Well, like, I think she's a decent wrestler. I mean, it's not really a fan of the character. It just seems like it's a Bailey 2.0 with like happy Bailey type of character, unfortunately, but the match was fine. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. And you kind of knew the result. It's kind of how it has to be for Tony right now. When you just won the belt fairly recent, she's just going to run through everybody until a viable opponent that's believable is going to come along. So the match was all right. Not really any like botches or anything like that. Tony um, displayed some good strength in the match and it was what it was. The next match was the match of the night. Uh, I think clearly. And it was 39 minutes and 45 seconds. It was Will Ospreay against Kenny Omega for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And, sorry, the the United States Heavyweight Championship. And Kenny Omega ends up losing the title to Will Ospreay in a match that will probably already be in people's top three matches of this year. And they did things differently than they did the previous match. But uh, (laughs) these two guys, it's wild to think about the quality of of wrestling that we got in this match last night. And I think it goes without saying that Kenny Omega now is pretty well known with the AEW folks and with people kind of overseas, but Will Ospreay is getting a lot of shine these past couple of years on Forbidden Door and, and being able to get in these matches. I think there's no doubt that he is probably the best wrestler in the world right now. And I'm happy that, first of all, we get to see it live on U.S. television and we don't have to pirate it or spoof it, whatever the hell we have to do to kind of watch those New Japan shows back in the day. Uh, but I just want to see more Will Ospreay on my TV. And I think, you know, I saw his post-interview, post some of the things that he was saying about ending his indie runs and things like that. That gives me hope that he's either, you know, he's just going to do New, New Japan shows or he's either coming to AEW or WWE uh, at the end of this year when he's a free agent. So for me, um, this match just, it, the last 15 minutes of this match at times left me speechless and at times left me kind of covering my eyes to see if someone was injured, uh, specifically on the tiger driver 91 on Kenny Omega, basically dropping him on his fucking head. Apparently uh, backstage, they were fine after the match. So it had, had no, no problem. You know, Osprey tweeted out today and, or, or last night. And, you know, he, he basically was saying Kenny Omega was one of a kind and, uh, it, it, I think I forget what the tweet fully said, but he was like, I'm over the elite or something like that. Like it's, it's amazing to be on top of the elite. Uh, you know, it, these guys have a lot of respect for each other and they put on absolute classics when they're in there. Uh, but the, the matches, the match itself that was put together last night, really, you know, it's what you expect, but it really goes beyond all your expectations in terms of, in terms of what they're able to do. I was going to say, um, these two are probably uh, obviously two of the best in the world, if not the two best in the world, one and two. And as crazy as, as it is to say, like as phenomenal as this match is. And I think this is exactly what we expect out of these two when they get into the ring together. 
even though I think they exceeded everybody's expectations. This match had everything. It had storytelling. It had drama. It had hard hits. It had high flying. It had blood submissions. It had everything. And this is exactly what wrestling is all about, is what these two did last night. Um, It was for a championship that Kenny had won prior months ago. So these two had history. And I do think that this is the one match that actually did have meaning behind it. And it's, it's amazing that it was the best match on the card by far. And I think that's unanimous across all wrestling. Fans. If you say another match was better than you are crazy and you just are a hater about either of these guys. So this match is one of the best matches that I've ever seen live. And, you know, it is too bad that we don't get Will Ospreay on, you know, American soil more often, even though it was in Canada. I would love to see more of him on TV. And I am interested to see if these two will have a third match at some point. Um, yeah, it'll be in Wembley if they have Maybe it. a little bit of a rubber match there, which I think Will Ospreay would come out on top again. But that is for another conversation. But this match was just phenomenal. 11 out of 10 exceeded my expectations i was hooked the entire match even if it started off a little bit slow these two are just phenomenal fight forever chance for me i love it so great match exceeded my expectations 11 out of 10 so when we talk about like the best wrestlers on the planet i don't even think it's close these two guys are just so much superior and ahead of every single person in any brand any company and i don't even think it's close the body of work these guys do in this match, like you guys said, they did everything. They did submissions. They did high fun. They did power moves. There was blood involved. There was drama. Don Callis got involved. Even when Don Callis got kicked out that. and then came back in, I didn't even care that even if it didn't make sense when he was able to come back, I was so hooked on the quality of this match that I didn't even care about everything that, that happened after that. I didn't care. Don Callis wanted to go in there, give him a screwdriver to Osprey, be my guest. He should have been banned. Does not matter. Kenny is one of the toughest son of a bitches I have ever seen in my entire life. He was taken headshot after headshot, finisher after finisher taken, and kicking out, kicking out Osprey the same thing. I know he's had a history of injuries, which is probably that's limited like his availability on some of the New Japan stuff. And I'm hoping he can get on USA Network soon once, like, if he goes over to WWE in the future. But in this match alone, maybe it's recency bias. <laughs> But this is probably the best match I've ever seen. I'd have to go back and watch Kurt Shawn Michaels in Undertaker, Shawn at like 25 and then 21 with Kurt and Shawn. Maybe it is just like a prisoner of the moment, but my God, I can't recall a wrestling match that was this good in a very long time, at least the last decade to 15 years. I have not seen a match this great. This was perfection on every single level. So I'll I'll push back a little on the perfection piece. The reason it's not perfection is because Don Callis was picked out <laughs> and then returned to the ring. Somehow, <laughs> just returned from the back just because he can, apparently. And then the ref doesn't give a fuck the second time he's out there. This is the... the I didn't let it ruin my time, and I didn't let it ruin what Kenny and Will did in the ring. But this is why AEW continues to not succeed for me is because they never make anything make sense. So for this to happen, it was just, I literally just chalked it up to, they don't know how to fucking book a wrestling thing. <laughs> like it's, it, that should not be happening when you're, first of all, it's, it's, gonna it's your biggest match. 
TK don't care. He's going to throw with the money he's got and just put it all together. And <laughs> it's just fucking stupid. Like, if you kick someone out, they're not coming back. It's, yeah. And everyone that wants to say, like, Solo did it at Mania, Solo came in when the ref was not paying attention, hit him with a move, and then left. Yep. It's not like he, he, he also came back in. and then purposely, like, went in the ring and saw the ref and was like, okay, I'm here. That's how again. you do it. He also he also had a hoodie on as well to kind of disguise yeah. it as well. They do a terrible yeah, job with this in AEW, yep. and that that didn't ruin the match for me because I knew the match was still going to be incredible. But it made it fucking stupid to me that that even happened. Any other comments about this match? Two guys, these two guys are the baddest on the planet. That's all I got to say. These two absolute animals. If they run it back, it should be a third time. It'll be in Wembley. And I think Osprey secretly, I, I, I know he wants to be on that card, obviously. It's his home country. So I just don't know who he's going to face. Uh, we'll, we'll see. If it's Kenny, I'm fine with that. Uh, I have no problem having the rubber match because it'll be another probably 40-minute absolute barn burner. Uh, the next match. <laughs> the next match was the... <laughs> fucking dumpster fire six 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 man <laughs> tag match between sting darby <laughs> allen tetsuya naito they were against the lay suzuki gods wow there is so much to say about this match first of all it was 15 minutes and 10 seconds longer than the fatal four-way and it was a recipe for <laughs> fucking disaster in this ring uh it was all <laughs> It was all-out chaos from the moment they said go in this fucking match. And the reason we're talking about the fucking water and people being drunk, Tetsuya Naito arrived late for his entrance. He didn't even take off his ring gear when it started. I'm pretty sure he was taking off his ring gear after the bell. (laughs) Yeah, Jericho says, hurry up. (laughs) And he got on the fucking, when he got tagged out, he got on the apron and was moseying around. Darby Allen had nowhere to go on the fucking side of the on the side of the fucking ring because Naito was going back and forth. And then he got off the fucking <laughs> ring post for no fucking reason to stand outside of the ring. The, and then when he was in the ring, it was even worse. He was. <laughs> this was, it was the best. Part. This was just an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> we also had. An almost homicide in the <laughs> ring with Sammy Guevara and Sting. On the cutter. We and had on Sammy the outside. Guevara going, going <laughs> for a cutter. Yeah, twice. We had Sammy Guevara going for a cutter on Sting. Sting was had Jericho in the walls of Jericho, I that believe. Was the Scorpion. The Scorpion Deathlock. Death yeah, Deathlock, yeah. <laughs> Sting also did not do his part to get over to Sammy Guevara. So Sammy Guevara is jumping backwards. And he basically fucking lands on top of Sting's neck. And he literally looked like he was about to be paralyzed from this fucking shot. A guy that's already had a history of a neck problem gets absolutely destroyed in the middle of the ring. Sammy Guevara then, later in this match, this this was another (laughs) highlight that was just all around fucking ridiculous. He hit a fucking 630 onto Sting of all people. Through the fucking table outside. My thought was, and then I saw a tweet about this. 
Within seconds, Sting was up and contesting the pin in the ring. Like, he just no-sold a fucking 6.30 outside of the ring. Sammy Guevara was never again seen in this match, not once on camera either, after that happened. Everyone thinks that Sammy Guevara was not supposed to actually hit the 6.30, like Sting was supposed to move. But I'm pretty sure Sting couldn't move because he already got hit in the fucking neck earlier in this match. Yeah, his vertebrae, his vertebrae was torn in half. So you had that going on. And then every single time Tetsuya Naito was in the ring, something was going on like he was fucking falling all over himself. He was... <laughs> I'll let these guys talk about some of their other favorite spots, but holy fuck, man. This was an absolute tragedy. But I'll be honest with you, I could not look away. It was fucking beautiful to me. It it made me laugh so much that I just had fun with it and I had no I had no idea what the fuck was gonna happen. I'm glad everyone's or maybe everyone's okay. But man, it was entertaining as fuck, even though it was bad. For an absolute train wreck, this was one of the most comedic <laughs> matches that I've probably ever seen in my entire life. And it wasn't meant to be. That's that's what made it even funnier. That's what made it even Some funnier. Some of yep. the <laughs> most stiff clotheslines, no selling, kicks, running around the ring not knowing <laughs> what the hell is going on with Minoru Suzuki and Naito. They look like they had never wrestled a match before. Uh the camera cuts were quality. At one point it might have been oh, it might have been right. Naito or Suzuki just threw themselves into the barricade from who knows <laughs> god knows where. Um I rewatched the 630 oh, probably man. like 6 or 7 times last night. Sting was 1000% supposed to roll out of the way and he he must have had he must have been taking a nap on the table and forgot because last second last second you see him try to turn and it's too late Guevara is landing on top of him so that is that is exactly why we didn't see Sammy Guevara the rest of the time and Sting got up is because that was not supposed to happen so uh, I mean okay. biggest no seller uh, another thing that was <laughs> another thing that was very weird was Jericho hitting the Judas effect when someone was doing a tope out of the ring. That was oh, yeah, and that I was will say Jeremy. this. I don't know if Jeremy rewatched this part yet. One of the meanest code breakers that I, I have, still have not that seen I have it. ever seen was done on Naito that night. And I missed <laughs> so I, I was not paying attention during this because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I literally had my face covered, and then Jericho hits the, apparently one of the best code breakers in AEW. I think he actually did it. That's why it was one of the best. But <laughs> this was, yeah, this was an absolute train wreck for 15 minutes, but it was some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen put in a ring. And I don't know if you guys saw after in the presser, it's going to be Sammy Guevara and Jericho versus Darby and Sting on Dynamite Wednesday. And I think it's yeah. a anything goes. Who knows? Tony. Tony was not Sting pleased. Sting Tony was weird. not. Ple- Jericho had the baseball bat back there, saw, picked up a water bottle, and fucking hit it. He started hitting, he started hitting it at people. <laughs> and Tony was like, "Chris, please get out of here. You shouldn't be back here right now." It was some funny shit, but this was awful. Just that awful, is- but funny at the same time. That was great. <laughs> oh man. All right, so wrestling-wise, this is easily 3 out of 10, 2.5 out of 10. 
as overall graded, I'm going to give it a six and a half because of how fucking funny this was. I was all eyes in of, even though it was unintentional funny, this was clearly the classic case of, all right, all the water bottles in the back, they were all Patron fits <laughs> by far. They uh, probably took the water out, threw them in there. The 630 spot absolutely scared me because I thought Stan was going to die <laughs> after that. A 60-something-year-old man lit with a guy, like a 200-plus guy landing on your neck, which was – I thought he was doing a coast-to-coast because how far Sammy had to jump for that. Um, all right, so I was going to bring up the sting spot with, like, the 630, but that makes sense now. If he was supposed to get out of the way, that's why he no-sold it. Another part was, um, you know, he – Naito throws Jericho out of the ring and he was supposed to continue on and then he just collapses like splat in the middle of the ring. In the middle, I'm like, this is an absolute travesty right now. Darby's looking around like, what's going on? Here? I forgot I Darby, Darby was even in the match. Was able to really wrestle the match. I forgot yeah. he was in it. He, I'll say this though Darby took a mean Judas effect when he yeah. went for the suicide yeah. dive. I know, I didn't even realize but, that was yeah. happening either. I was so confused. This will lead to the main event for me. I was still so taken back by this match that I couldn't even really focus on the main event. And I thought it was a problem for me because I feel like I missed, not missed, but I feel like I wasn't really paying attention to the first 15 minutes of the main event. The main event was Kazuchika Okada versus Brian Danielson. Uh, Brian Danielson gets the win. The official time was 27 minutes, 40 seconds. And unfortunately, uh, within the last 10 minutes, Brian Danielson broke his forearm, uh, as we found out today or last night in the in the uh, media scrum. Yeah, he's potentially going to be out six to eight weeks. So here's to hoping that he is at the all-in show. Who knows at this point, but, but that's going to be cutting it real, real tight for that show. So we'll see. There's definitely time, but we'll see. This match was good. Um, I, I think it was over. Uh, honestly going to be overshadowed with what Omega and Osprey did. So I think whatever they did, I think people also would understand they were not going to be able to really follow that match. But I think as the first time ever, you got to see Okada do a lot of different things. Danielson did a lot of different submissions and a lot of the good counters. Even some suplexes in there for Sean that he got excited about. <laughs> But what yep. I will say is I, I think it was just where this match was placed, it was hard to follow a 40-minute classic that Osprey and Omega put on. But still worthy, in my opinion, worthy of a main event. It's the first time we ever saw it. And I think they could do this match again as well. You know, it's something that I don't necessarily think is unfinished, but I think you could finish it here and it wouldn't really matter if they never face again. If it's just a one-off, that's also fine too. What I'll say is uh, I, the right winner. I think Danielson was the correct winner, especially if he's being placed as one of the best guys in the company. But it, it'll be interesting to see where they kind of go from here. But I thought the match was pretty good. I would say a solid, you know, seven, seven and a half out of ten. I think it just, the the wind was sucked out of people, I think, with that, that third to last match and the chaos of the second to last <laughs> match. Yeah, this, um, it kind of reminds me of, like WrestleMania 18 when rock and Hogan put on the match that they did. The crowd was so into it. And then the main event was Jericho and triple H. And it was kind of over at that point. Like you said, very overshadowed by maybe what should have been the main event that night. 
And yep. if AEW had a network, this would probably be the first match that I go back and rewatch because I feel like same. the same as you. I feel like I did miss a lot of this match because of what happened first during the Omega match and then the chaos and the shit show of a second match. Um, and I am I, I was very surprised when the tap happened. I didn't think I, yeah. I didn't think it was going to end that way. And I, I didn't think it was going to end when it did. I thought maybe they were going to do a little bit more towards the end of the match because maybe it was because Brian was hurt. Maybe they were going to go a little bit longer, but maybe they just couldn't, maybe. you know, maybe they flipped the switch, changed the script and said, Hey, let's finish this right now. Um, which is fine. If somebody's hurt, you have to do what you have to do. The same thing happened last year in the fatal four way match with Jay white, Adam Cole, Okada. When Adam Cole got hurt, he got concussed during the match. You got to change the script, finish it off, you know, but I would like to go back and rewatch this match. I do think that there was a lot of cool spots in this match. Like you said, some cool submissions. Okada's fantastic, but he's just not going to come into AEW and defeat the best thing that AEW has right now, which I mean, or second yeah. best thing next to MJF is, which is Brian Danielson. It's just not going to happen. So I'm cool with the outcome. I'm glad that they got time to 27 minutes. is pretty good, especially 10 of the minutes being with a broken forearm. So hopefully yeah. he comes back in time for Wembley. I mean, that would be great if he could, be in another big match at another pay-per-view because he's so good but like you said we'll see i mean there's plenty of time so we'll see what happens yeah i would say this is probably like six and a half seven um that was a good match not great and i do think it's an unfortunate situation where it just comes down to like they get the benefit of the doubt where like it's impossible to match with osprey and kenny did for those near 40 minutes and if Danielson really, if they had to call an audible on the last, like whatever they were supposed to go after that because of the broken forum, then I 1000% understand the finish of like the Okada tap at the end. I was also shocked when he tapped like that because it felt like it was one of those spots where it was like Okada was going to get to the ropes, have the ring breaker, and then kind of maybe go 10 more minutes and have something funky. But submissions are really good. Danielson's always been an expert at that. He's always like A plus on top of his game with submissions. Okada too. A lot of good kicks and everything, a lot of super kicks, um, some suplexes and everything. So pretty decent overall. Um, but obviously near the end, though, it felt a little lackluster for some reason. Just because I was probably expecting like at least maybe 75% of what Okada – and sorry, well, with Osprey and what Omega were. So that's always going to be tough with like the spotting of it. And then we saw the wreck show, the comedic chaos after that. Where, like you guys said, Jeremy, we were too focused on that that we barely paid attention for like maybe 10 Yeah, we were on Twitter looking for the highlights. Of the main event. So it was tough. But <laughs> I do hope that Danielson recovers quickly as a speedy recovery. Then he'll be back for um, All Out. So All In is on the 27th. All, all In. Well, they're back to back. All Out's the week after. So it's, it's not okay. far apart. So I just did the math. It's about eight and a half weeks out is when All In is. So. If he's on the high side of eight weeks, you know, he could still technically get back and have, like, one one dynamite episode of build. If he's on the shorter week, you know, six weeks, which I'm guessing they'll probably try and get him back in six weeks, then he'll have a couple, a few weeks of build. He doesn't have to wrestle even for build, though, when he comes back. So as long as they hold him out, obviously wrestling-wise, until all-in, let's just hope he's there. Um, so that was the card for Forbidden Door. So all in all, in terms of a pay-per-view, what I'll say, I would say it's a 7 out of 10 pay-per-view. 
I won't go any higher than that, only because I just think there was a lot of matches that were forgettable, in my opinion. And the reason also that is, is because of the build for these matches were non-existent. And, you know, it was carried by three matches. So that kind of is what it is. But I would say a six and a half, seven. I would say I would give it a seven out of ten. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably leaning more towards a six. Um you know, the dark mat, the zero hour matches, usually I don't really care for because there's always at least three or four of them that are just randomly put together last second. And like Jeremy said, they weren't bad, but those are matches that I don't necessarily need. So I'm looking at it as there was three matches that were really good out of a 14 match card. To me, that's a, a yeah. six out of 10. And I mean, I, I want to say that the Osprey and Kenny match would make it higher for me, but it's just hard for me to say that when there were so many actual like bad matches that meant nothing. Yeah, I'm like the same way. Like I only go to a five, unfortunately, because there was more bad than good. And no, I understand like what I said. And I'm sticking by it. So unless I can like go back and like rephrase it and watch the matches, I still have Kenny and Osprey is the greatest match I've ever seen. So that definitely gives me like top brownie points in regards to that performance. But there was just so many like blunders and like absolute train wrecks on this show, including our like the AEW World Champion MJF wanted to get the fuck out of there, do business, and get out. A lot of bad than good, but I will give it a five because of the fact that you did see like a good main event, a decent main event, and then obviously one of the best matches I've ever seen with Omega and Osprey. So it was it was interesting to say that, <laughs> to say the least. With uh, a lot of laughs, I will say that that's a good thing. There was a lot of comedic elements to this pay per view. So we will transition now. Uh, we'll take a little little breather break from uh, reviewing and laughing. To going to uh, a new uh, our our second version of this topic, so this or that. So Sean is going to uh, be asking us. I believe it's twenty this or that's. Yep. Uh, and then, so the part one we saw. I I did the who did the part one? Was it me? Yep. And then yeah, because then Chris did something else. Yep. But so I did part one. Sean's gonna go through the twenty questions, and then Chris and I will be giving the answers. So, Sean, I'll let you kind of take it away from here if you want to do an intro or whatever. Alrighty, yeah. So basically, uh, picking up where Jeremy said, um, this is gonna be part two. I'm gonna ask these guys twenty questions between two superstars, and it's random questions that no one is aware of any of these questions ahead of time. They're gonna go by their first gut pick on the spot. They're gonna give an explanation, however long they want, for each question, and then we'll take it from there. So question number one, this is kind of a simple one, but it's very intriguing to see your thoughts on this one. Better talker, Rock or Cena? Whew. This is an interesting one. I, I will start it. Um, personally, I'm going to say Rock. Um, I do think that the Rock was more comedic which i liked back in the day as a kid um so i'm just gonna base it off of that because the rock was basically my childhood and cena was a little bit of my childhood but then grew older but i will say this i do think that cena has his strengths on the mic and that co like comes with being personal he can get really personal with people but i just think the rock overall just it, it just comes so natural to him and he always had it since the day he joined WWE. 
So I'm I'm just gonna pick the Rock. I'm gonna pick Cena for <laughs> one of the points that Chris said. The personal angles, I think puts him a little above. I also base it on content and longevity. So I think Cena did it for a lot longer. The 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 knock I have against Cena is the fact that he was never a heel. So he was never able to talk as a heel. And I think The Rock did both, which would be in his favor in this argument. But I don't think Rock did it for as long as Cena. So, I, you know... I think there's multiple angles to this this argument. I would be fine picking either, but I think I'm going to go with Cena in terms of a whole package. If I was going what my younger self would say, I would also choose The Rock. For the simple fact that I think I also find the comedic aspect, even now I find it probably more entertaining at points. But I think Cena's full body of work gives him the edge for me. Okay, good explanations, guys. Question number two, more iconic moment. And you can define iconic as more like shocking, more like, oh my God, this happened type of, however you want to define it. So more iconic moment between the Montreal Screwjob or Mankind thrown off the Hell in a Cell by The Undertaker. I'll say Montreal Screwjob. Uh, I think Mankind being thrown off by The Undertaker is a big moment. And maybe it's an oh my god moment more. And the Montreal Screwdriver job, I didn't really like see live, so I can't really say that. And I didn't really see the Undertaker. Undertaker was more the Undertaker mankind was more recent for me, and I watched that. But for me, the Montreal Screwdriver is like something that is like real when it happened too. So like, I think there's a whole another level to that that people didn't know what was going on that should have known what was going on. And uh, it really kind of turned out just so much worse than it did. So I'll pick that. Yeah, I was going to go with the screwdriver for the same reason. It was 100% real everything that happened that night in the Montreal screwjob. Bret Hart did not know that that was going to happen. Vince McMahon called that and made people aware that that was going to happen. So Bret Hart's reaction in that ring was 100% real. And he went backstage and punched Vince McMahon in the face that night. So I think to me that is more iconic. I do think Hell in a Cell is iconic in its in its own way, where I think that did a lot more for Mick Foley than it did a company. I think the Montreal Screwjob affected the entire company, whereas uh, the Hell in a Cell only affected Mankind that night. So I'm going to go with the Screwjob as well. Nice. All right, question number three. Better wrestler... AJ Styles or Eddie Guerrero? I'm going to go with AJ Styles. Uh, And, you know, it's tough to pick anybody against Eddie Guerrero because of how good he was. But if we we ever did see the two of them link up, I do think AJ Styles would... I mean, AJ Styles can wrestle clinics around anybody, but I'm, I'm thinking of a younger AJ Styles in the TNA days. That dude was one of the best that I have ever seen, if not the best that I've ever seen. And at 40-something years old, still doing it to this day, he he's done things in his wrestling career that Eddie Guerrero could not do. Which, Eddie Guerrero could do a lot, but AJ just had one up on him, so I'm going to go AJ. 
I think that's the big difference when it comes to high flying moves and the ability to diversify to the all power extent. Like will what Will Osprey is doing now, Prime AJ just can do more than Prime Eddie Guerrero. And that's you know, it also depends on what you like. So I think people are, you know, they could easily answer this Eddie Guerrero and they'd have no problem answering Eddie Guerrero. I just think AJ for me and from what my taste is, and I think all in all, a whole package, AJ could do everything that Eddie Guerrero could do plus more. That's kind of how I would put it. And I would also pick AJ Styles for all those reasons. I just think he can do more than Eddie. And Eddie's great. I love Eddie Guerrero. I have, coincidentally, I have AJ3 and Eddie4 on my list, yeah. on my all-time list. So AJ's just a little slightly above It's him. no knock. Question. Exactly. Question number four. I'm very intrigued to get your answers on this one. Who is more important in WWE, Shane McMahon or Stephanie McMahon? I'm going to go Stephanie. Um, I think that she was just uh, more important in certain storylines in the McMahon-Helmsley era, and then she eventually became general manager. And I also do think that she stuck around a lot longer than Shane did. And I know Shane's had some incredible moments, incredible matches. He's a daredevil. He puts his life on the line when he's in the ring. But there's more to having an impact in WWE than just being able to do stuff in the ring. And that's no knock on Shane. I mean, he's been a part of some great factions as well when he was with the Ministry of Darkness when he was younger. Um, he was also a GM of SmackDown for a while. But I just think Stephanie McMahon has meant more to the company. So I'm going to go with Stephanie. Uh, it's Stephanie McMahon for me, and I don't think it's close. I think Stephanie McMahon has been an on-screen character better than Shane McMahon. I think she's been a general manager better than Shane McMahon. And I think she has been someone that behind the scenes has done way more for the company than Shane McMahon. Uh, I'm not a big Shane McMahon guy regardless, but I will give him his, his flowers in terms of when you know he's a daredevil and... You know, he can do some wild things in matches. For me, uh, I don't even think this is a conversation to have. I think Stephanie means so much to that company. And I think it was a mistake to ever let her leave. You can blame her father. But uh, I, I think uh, losing Stephanie was, was a surprising thing. But I just think back to easily when she was younger and she was on screen on TV every week. She was easily someone that I fucking hated. Yeah, little hated her guts. <laughs> and, you know, for a character like that to just be a manager, it's not like she wrestled. She barely ever wrestled. To have so much hate for someone and to be so involved with their character, that means, like, you did so much. Like, she's, she's a Hall of Famer, and I don't think it's close either. Um, so, Stephanie, for me. Yeah, and her GM days were absolutely some of the most watchable moments and everything. How she had to like kind of run the train wreck of SmackDown with Big Show, Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, that whole saga. So definitely, I would also pick Stephanie McMahon. All right, next question. Better cash in. This is probably going to be a no-brainer. But Edge, New Year's Revolution on John Cena from the Elimination Chamber or Seth Rollins on Roman and Brock at WrestleMania 31? Mm. I, I mean, that's a tough one. The Seth Rollins one is the biggest heist of the century, but 
Edge's cash-in was the first ever cash-in. Um, I think that Seth Rollins has the more iconic one, but I'm going to have to pick Edge based off preference. I do think that Edge's cash-in did more for him, and I think Seth Rollins was destined for greatness, but it took Edge a long time, and the money in the bank helped elevate Edge to that. So I do think that that cash-in... I mean, I don't think we were expecting either of them, but I mean, Cena had just wrestled in Elimination Chamber, went through hell, and then Edge comes out and cashes in and wins the spinner belt and changes it to the rated R spinner belt. And I think that one to me mm-hmm. was was the better one, but that's just my preference. The way okay. I see this question is my childhood versus something that happened when I was well into my wrestling watching career and my childhood will reign supreme. And I think Chris did exactly this by saying it. Seth Rollins was elevated from cashing in edge was made a star by cashing in the money in the bank. He was never, we just talked about this because we watched survivor series 04. He was never a world champion. At this time. And he was treated as a main guy, but he wasn't the guy. This made him the guy on television. And I remember specifically from Edge's WWE 24, you know, when he was talking about coming back to WWE, he was like, Vince trusted me as one of his generals. That's when he trusted him as his general. Once he got that title and started being the rated R superstar and had so many feuds with Cena, Orton, all these guys. He took a long he he did take a long time to get there. He was a tag team. He he then developed into a singles guy. It took him way longer than Seth Rollins to rise to the top. So for that simple reason, I also agree. I think it's Edge. Nice. Good reasonings. This is a funny one, interesting one. Who is tougher slash has a higher pain tolerance? John Moxley or Mick Foley? Oh. I'm going to go with Mick Foley. Um, I mean, I know Moxley's been a part of some of the most gruesome shit that we've ever seen. But at the same time, I mean, Mick Foley has definitely been through way worse, I think, specifically because of the time that he came up, which was like the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, when you were just allowed to do so much more like hardcore shit. So, I mean, I think he's taken a lot more beatings, specifically being thrown off a hell in a cell, tooth coming through your lip. Um, He was concussed that night. Just so many, like the barbed wire, the fire. I mean, Moxley's done a decent amount of that, but I just think Mick Foley's done more. And he he loved it. That's the thing. They both love it, but like Mick Foley is the hardcore legend. I was just watching a TikTok yep. today uh, regarding Foley and Edge about their match. And it was behind the scenes. It must have been on an A&E documentary somewhat recently. But, um, yeah, it's got to be Mick Foley, man. They, I, we, we met this guy in real life. And you can tell because his body has been through so much. You can tell by just watching him walk into a room that uh, – you know, he doesn't put Moxley to shame because Moxley's a crazy bastard, but uh, it's got to be Mick Foley. He's got the war scars to prove it. That is true. Next question. And I selected these two guys because I know you guys are big fans of both of them. Whose initial retirement announcement due to injury hit harder, Daniel Bryan or Edge? Oh. 
I'll go first. Uh, I think for me it was Daniel Bryan only because, if I remember correctly, he was a lot younger than Edge at the time that he was forced to retire. And I think Daniel Bryan was also one of the major players at the time of his retirement that was carrying the company through kind of the dogger days. And for me, he's he's always been kind of one of my favorite guys. So, And I loved Edge, and I, I loved Edge. But I also think that at the time, I was shocked, but Daniel Bryan really just hit me hard. I'm going to go with Edge. Um, even though, I mean, at that time, he was already established as one of the best. Uh, and, I mean, they both kind of retired similarly where they had won like a world championship and then they had to relinquish a championship of some sort. So they're both very similar in their own way. But to me, it was edge just because I had seen so much more of him growing up to that point in 2011 when he retired. And I'm pretty sure it was like the night after WrestleMania that he retired or like the week after WrestleMania, which was was, tough. So I think edges hit more home for me just based off. I got, I, I grew up with him. You know, I didn't really grow up with Daniel Bryan. So Edges, to me, was more impactful. Okay, good answers. This one is more of like, this next question is going to be more based off this person's like body of work and then kind of doing a prediction of this up-and-coming superstars, what they we think are going to become. So the question is, who will have the more memorable WWE career in terms of feuds and match quality? Charlotte Flair or Tiffany Stratton? I'm going to go with Charlotte Flair. And, I mean, I have one reason for that, and it's because her last name is Flair. I think that she, unfortunately, because of her name, has been given more and will continue to be given a lot in the future. And I'm not taking anything away from her because she is fantastic in the ring. But I, I I don't know if there's anybody currently that will ever be able to reach the heights that Charlotte Flair reached. I'll play devil's advocate and say <laughs> Tiffany. I think I'm only doing this for this this namesake because I, I do think Chris is right in saying that no one can, in terms of accolades, like I don't think Tiffany Stratton is going to win 15 world championships. What I do think, though, is that she could have more impactful title reigns that last longer and make her more defined. And I think what will happen is she will have a better character than Charlotte Flair as well, because Charlotte's character isn't necessarily the best. Like, you know, she has the queen gimmick and, you know, she is a flair. That doesn't necessarily sell me on Charlotte. What sells me on Charlotte is in the ring. And if Tiffany continues to develop, I think she could be just as good as Charlotte in the ring. That'll take some time, though, so I think that's like four or five years off. But I'll play devil's advocate, and I'll say Tiffany Stratton just for just for namesake I, and game's yeah, sake. Yeah, I will say this. I think what works in Tiffany's advantage is her age. She started much younger. Charlotte Flair never really wanted to be a WWE superstar. It's true. So I think that Tiffany can be groomed for that spot, you know? So I think that is to her advantage as well. And she already has the star star quality all over. Absolutely. Yep. 
Charlotte's definitely one of the greatest, and Tiffy Strand's going to be big time when she gets in the main roster, so looking forward to it. Next question, better entrance, Bray Wyatt or Triple H? So kind of take every element as far as like the WrestleManias, um, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, variation of Fiend entrances versus um, the Eater of Worlds, Triple H, the My Time, like his old theme songs kind of take everything as a big ball and roll it up. And then where do you give the edge to on that one between these two guys? I am going to go with Triple H. Um, you know, I, I know Bray Wyatt has had like so many different characters where he's had different entrances, whether it was the Wyatt family, the Fiend, or the most recent Bray Wyatt with the Uncle Howdy shit. I think his all every entrance that he's had is great, and he's had great theme songs. Triple H, I mean, my time, his theme song was fantastic. And I know his entrance is very generic, but you see people copying the simple water in the mouth, spitting it. And that's one of the most iconic things that you'll ever see in an entrance is Triple H spitting the water. Even Vince is a big fan of it. Vince and loves doing I, it too. I think some of Triple H's most memorable entrances have been WrestleMania entrances with cool gear, coming down on a bike, uh, live performances. I think Triple H's to me is more memorable. But Bray Wyatt, I mean, that's a tough one because him with the lantern, I mean, him with, uh, he, he's great too. I don't want to change my mind, so I'm going to go Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> well, phrase the question how you asked it, Sean. So it just better entrance. Okay. But the way I, but I should have included everything, but I'm just taking totality of everything you see, like from the theatrics, theme songs. Um, the visions that you see. So take everything into account. And then where would you give the edge to on that one? I, I actually think it's Bray Wyatt. <laughs> um, I think Bray, they've both had different characters, right? And Triple H has come out with Evolution. It's not like they had a great entrance. And that entrance theme song isn't necessarily a great entrance. So for me, and Triple H's manias, he had a few really good entrances. He also had some that were repetitive as fuck. And just the same thing, just because he's Triple H, is going to get a good entrance. And I think I kind of got sick of that, so maybe that dulled that down a little bit. Bray Wyatt, to me, it, it's just the mystique of the entrance. It reminds you a lot of The Undertaker in terms of the ability to get over an entire crowd. But I just also really like the aspect that Bray Wyatt, like, I was really worried that when they changed his theme multiple times it was going to be not that great and every iteration for me has been very good yeah wyatt wyatt family bray wyatt was very entertaining coming out with the lantern and and the people with him this bray wyatt has been very entertaining and the more like hard rock theme i really enjoyed the fiends character i really enjoyed and that theme song i really liked i don't know that's a tough one but i think it's bray wyatt for me Okay. Next question. Better in-ring gear, Edge or Eddie Guerrero? Mm. I think they're both I th I think they're both very have... similar in terms of their in-ring gear. I do think Eddie's is slightly better based off of I think I like the designs of his more. I will say that. I know he like one of my favorite uh, in ring gears of all time is Eddie Guerrero's when it was silver and gold. I, I have mm. that fig when it was a Jack's edition fig where it was basically silver with gold and black outlining. 
So to me, for that reason, I'm going to go with Eddie. But Edge, I mean, his white gear at WrestleMania 37 was great. Like, he's had some great gears as well. I will go the other side. I will (laughs) go with Edge. (laughs) Edge is getting a lot of love this episode. What I will say is this. I think Edge also had so much influence on his gear and is someone that, like, you know, when I watched his documentary too, like he made a lot of gears that actually came to fruition that actually ended up happening in WWE. He drew them up. Uh, but some of the gears he's come out with recently have been, I think his, yeah, his recent gear is better than I think his older, older, his judgment day gears were really good. Some of his stuff with edge and Christian was really good. Um, yeah, I would say edge. It's it, it, I'll give Eddie Guerrero credit for some of the other gears that he's worn now because some of them were really good. Nice. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to show some love to the GOAT in ring, Shawn Michaels. Oh, okay. Better career, face Shawn Michaels or heel Shawn Michaels. Mm. So you have to take it back to like, and I would probably preference this one based on like, you know, from his attitude era days. And that's the WWF was when he was mostly heel. And then I would say, you know, around it, it, it was tough because then around like 2002, when he came back from like the back injury, he was a face for a while. So say, you can do pre and post injury. You could, but I, I just think the post injury, he has more body of work. Um, so that one, I had to just kind of distinguish it by heel face. So think of just like the feuds he's had. Where that would be the best way I would do, kind of distinguish it. Like think of like the all the feuds he's had where he was a face, and then the ones where he was a heel. And which ones do you value more? Which ones were better in your personal opinion that you enjoyed? I mean, the I mean I've seen a lot of highlights from old Shawn Michaels from like the '90s and whatnot. So I feel like most of my life, like he came back in 2002, I was watching in 2000. So I basically only saw face Shawn Michaels. There were rare times that he was a heel throughout my time watching, but Hogan. Yeah, Hogan. That's true. But I will say this. I do think that heel Shawn Michaels has more accolades. Um, And I think heel Shawn Michaels had a better career based off of that. I think he was a a heel in for WrestleMania 11. I think he was a heel WrestleMania 12 against Bret Hart. When he won his first title, WrestleMania 14 against Stone Cold. I mean, he did a yep. lot as a heel back in the day. And, I mean, his shit with DX, I don't even know if they were heels or faces back then. Yeah, That's exactly. the thing. That's the it's, it's tough. Th- those early days, I don't yeah. know if DX was heels or faces back then. Um, I enjoyed face Shawn Michaels more because that's what I saw. But I do think that heel Shawn Michaels is better. I would answer heel Shawn Michaels, but I would agree with what he just said. I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> okay. I also want to preference when Shawn Michaels was a heel, he was also drawing real life heel yeah. heat. Like he was actually a backstage. Nobody menace. liked him. Yeah. Um, if you go there back were times like, though, like with Hogan, that he was like that was after injury and after him being a prick. That he was a very entertaining yeah. heel against Hulk Hogan. Right. Yeah, I remember that was the thing in the locker room. They always said that he was like the most gifted athlete in the company but he was just such a prick but then he developed he basically got back into things he became a changed person then everyone loves him now which is good all right next question who is more valuable today mercedes monet or becky lynch 
Now think today. So we're not going to take anything in the past. So look at basically today and then their future going forward. What you think, who's going to be more valuable? Becky Lynch, because she's in WWE. And I don't think I have another answer for that. If Mercedes Monet was in WWE, maybe I will. But WWE is the the best company for entertainment or wrestling in the world. And I don't think it gets any higher than that. And I think Becky Lynch is just a bigger name than Mercedes Monet. And I think it's the reason why she left. The answer is Becky Lynch. And even if Sasha stayed in WWE, the answer is still Becky Lynch. And that's why she wasn't going to get paid her money because they don't see her as big of a star as Becky Lynch. And if, be- yeah. And she's not as big of a draw as Becky Lynch. I was going to say, if, uh, yeah. I just think that's what if it is. If Becky goes to New Japan, that draws more ratings than Mercedes does. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. It's like the Seth Rollins to Roman Reigns in like the era they're in. But I do look at comparison. And that's, uh, unfortunately, that's no knock on Mercedes. Like, I do think she's incredible, but I just think 2019 made Becky so big that it's going to be very hard for anyone to catch yeah. up. Yeah, she's she's just a made woman from that point on. She's just that big of a box office draw. So I, I agree with you guys. Um, next question: Best two move finisher, Corbin the Deep Six in the End of Days, or the Undertaker Last Ride Tombstone Pile Driver? Hot take, but it's Corbin. Uh, I think Corbin has those two moves as a signature and a finisher it's very tough to beat for me in terms of the quality of the moves uh and what were the two the last right in the tombstone yep <sighs> yeah I- i'm gonna give the edge to corbin i think the tombstone is great the last ride to me is just another power bomb so you know other people have done that corbin's move set is something that no one else does that's how I'll base it off of. If I'm, I'm not even considering the characters that are involved because if I did that, it'd be the Undertaker. So if I'm just right. going on move set, this is like when I talked about Cedric Alexander. I think he has one of the best finishers. It's completely has nothing to do with the person. Corbin's that those two moves as a tandem are incredible. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what, that's what I base it off of just, just the characters and impact alone. Like put that to the side. Right. Just the now, while alone. I think the tombstone is one of the best finishers of all time, if you're talking about a duo where a signature and a finisher, Jeremy's right. It's Corbin because a last ride is just a power bomb. Anybody can do a power bomb. It's very easy to do. Not everybody can do the end of days in a deep six. That's why you don't see people doing it in every match, but anybody can sit there and, and pick somebody up and slam them down. So Jeremy used to do it to me. That was his finisher. Yep. <laughs> 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 On that note, exactly. next exactly. Question, if these two guys were in the same company, who would have had the more iconic career? Kenny Omega or Shawn Michaels? I'm going to go with Shawn Michaels just because I do think his character does more than Kenny Omega's does. And it's as simple as that. I do think Kenny Omega is better. I mean, maybe not better in ring. It's very close, very, very close between the two. But I do think Shawn Michaels can do more as a heel and as a face. He's a better character. 
I think Shawn Michaels has a wider range of entertainment value than Kenny Omega does. I also think this is two different companies. I put it this way. If you put Shawn Michaels in AEW today, a prime Shawn Michaels, like 35 or 30 years old, who the fuck knows what you're going to get on television every week? It'd be wild shit. So I just think Shawn Michaels, and I also think part of this argument is WWE versus AEW because we've never seen Kenny Omega until next year in WWE. So I think, (laughs) who knows? Uh, I just think that Shawn Michaels has a proven character that testifies time for both heel and face work. Okay, good answers. Next question, better theme music, Evolution theme song or Cody Rhodes' theme song? It's Cody yeah. Rhodes. I don't. I don't think it's. An, I don't think it's hard either. Yeah, Cody Rhodes, just because it was number one on my playlist last year, <laughs> easier to sing along to. I like Evolution's theme song. Yeah. I I also think Edge's theme song is better than Evolution. I think Cody's got one of the best. Uh, but it's Cody. I was shocked that Chris said that was an easy one for you. I thought you were gonna have to no. like think on this one. I can listen to that workout. I can. Listen I know to you love that. Driving. Yeah. Listen to that in my free That's time true. when I'm doing nothing. that's true uh next question which superstar has paul Heyman worked better with roman reigns or brock lesnar so when i preference that question it could be everything it can be like if we're talking mouthpiece and obviously a lot of us we're all gonna say brock lesnar but think totality think story think of impact when he was like you know really how long he's been a manager for so take longevity like the storyline, the value of what he brought to each person, kind of all those things combined on your answers. I still think the answer is Brock Lesnar. Uh, Everything aside, in terms of thinking about everything, I think he just meant more to Brock Lesnar, and I think it became part of his character. I think for him with Roman... He is a great addition to what is going on, but he is not the main focal point, which I think when he was with Lesnar, he was more of a character. Not to say he's not a character with Reigns, but I think he was just a bigger reason that Brock Lesnar was so good was because he had Paul Heyman. And I don't think it's necessary for him to do that with Roman. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lesnar as well. I think... Yeah, at first it was very cool when we saw Roman and Heyman sitting in the same room together. But it's at the point now where you don't really need to associate Paul Heyman with Roman and the bloodline. I think he'd be better off without him. But when you think Brock Lesnar, I think you do think Paul Heyman as well. And I think that Paul Heyman with Brock Lesnar makes Brock Lesnar better. It's at the point now where Roman Reigns, I mean, Paul Heyman does not make Roman Reigns better. Roman Reigns makes Roman Reigns better. Yeah, you guys are right. Paul Heyman was definitely a more definitive character under Lesnar because he had more responsibility of having to carry promos and everything. And just like the early 2000 days, like Paul Heyman was in a lot of backstage segments involving Lesnar and he did a lot of weight on his shoulders with him. Even though he's doing some great work with Roman Reigns, but I will also give the edge to... um, Brock Lesnar on this one. Next question. This one's kind of a funny one. Which title is more useless? The women's tag titles in WWE 
or the TNT Championship in AW? And I think I already know what your answer is. I knew what my answer was before you even asked the options. (laughs) It's a TNT title. I don't give a shit how bad the women's tag titles are. That title is completely worthless. I I'm not yeah, gonna say I, I compare the TNT championship to the 24-7 championship, which I think are two of the worst championships of all time <laughs> now. And, you know, we know the women's division is bad, so we know what those women tag team titles are going to bring. The TNT title should bring more, and it's just simply not. So I think it's just much worse. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yep, clean sweep there. Who was funnier, Attitude Era Vince McMahon or Ruthless Aggression Vince McMahon? <sighs> that's that's difficult. I, very difficult. For me, surprisingly, this one actually came very easy to me. I think I am going to go with Ruthless Aggression Vince. Um... Attitude Era Vince, I feel like, was stuck with Stone Cold a lot, which did bring some of the funniest segments that we've ever seen. But I think Ruthless Aggression Vince without Stone Cold was so different, and he had to kind of diversify himself as well and go a bunch of different routes. And he did that with Durag Vince, with DX reincarnated in 2006, 2007. I think it just brought a funnier aspect, especially starting around that 03, 04 time. So I'm going to go with Ruthless Vince. I'm going to go with Ruthless Vince as well. I think it's close, but Chris is right. Like a lot of his work was with Stone Cold. (laughs) It's tough to say because Ruthless Vince was also like very unhinged when he came to his comedy and he's willing to say whatever was on his mind, which today's culture he would have been canceled so many times uh so i'm gonna for that reason i'm gonna say ruthless vince i'm gonna say ruthless vince yeah i'm also taking ruthless vince i don't even think it's close because of like the body of work that vince has like the more segments of like comedian that he got to display under ruthless aggression i remember you know we've seen this one before of course the paul Heyman one where he's talking about all the things he wants to do to the undertaker (laughs) And how the six of this, I'm not going to go in and what he said specifically, or like it kicked off, you know, our YouTube channel. But, um, you know, and you guys mentioned it. Durag Vince was hilarious. Uh, the DX reincarnated. He had a lot of more opportunities on the promos to display his funny side. And he was just a menace. <laughs> That's what I loved about him, how hilarious he was. True. This, this one, better wrestler, Sheamus or Booker T? I think Booker T. I think that Booker T. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but I just simply think that Booker T. can do more. I think he's more athletic, and I think a lot of his moves just look more natural. I love the scissors kick. Uh, he had the bookend. He could do some stuff from the top rope. Um, I just think that he he can do more. And, and like, I mean, yeah, Sheamus could do a scissors kick, but probably not going to look that good. And I mean, I don't know. I just think Booker T just can do more. I think he's just more athletic and we didn't even get to see a lot of Booker T back in the WCW days, which is, I think is probably yeah. when he was at his best. Yeah. Prime Booker T. Maybe I would say yes. I'll go Seamus for the sake of argument <laughs> uh, from, I think it's based on also what we saw. Cause I do think Booker T was probably in his prime, 
in those I mean he's five time WCW champion, so I don't know though. It, it's it, it's close, but I actually think it depends on your style of what you like. Because I think Sheamus obviously is more of a bruiser type of wrestler, and Booker T maybe was a little bit more finesse in the style. I prefer Sheamus. I've never been a big Booker T guy. All right, good answers, guys. Good defenses. And last but not least, final question. We've always touched, we've kind of teased like this argument a bit, but I'm actually going to ask a full-on question direct. <laughs> Bigger heel, Roman Reigns 2020 to current or Triple H 2003 to 2005? So basically his evolution days of Triple H or what Roman Reigns is doing as a tribal chief. I think this question is extremely hard to answer because when we were kids of course we wanted triple h to lose everything because we hated heels back then i think we've grown to enjoy heels more now so i think it's difficult um so just based off of that i'm gonna go with triple h because well actually chris yeah I'll you off um, yeah. if i can say one thing if you basically put your age, so we were what? So 2005, 2004, we were 19, yeah. so 11 years old. So picture yourself as 11-year-olds watching Roman Reigns on TV. Would you view the same way about Triple H, or would you still be a fan of Roman, or would you be booing him as an 11-year-old watching Roman if, in the okay, bloodline today? Okay, if you put it like that, I'm going to say Roman Reigns yeah. because I can picture myself absolutely loving Sami Zayn. I can picture myself wanting Jey Uso to beat him, whoever along along the run. I think Roman has beat more people than Triple H did back then during that era. So I will, based off of that, I'm going to go with Roman because he's beaten more of the people that I would have wanted to win. I think okay. it's Roman. Uh, I think the longevity factor factors into this. If If I'm answering as my younger self... When it happened, it's easily Triple H. And that's saying something because I, fr- I can't stand that Roman's beaten 5 million people. <laughs> but I think the answer is Roman. Because uh, I also think I would really enjoy Triple H right now if he was doing the same thing. Yeah. And Triple H lost during that three-year stretch roman hasn't so (laughs) it's more infuriating now than it is back right and that definitely is probably like the edge on that one the fact that roman's been unblemished this whole entire run that's those are good points (laughs) (laughs) yep so that wraps up those 20 questions good good job guys difficult thank you yeah, there's uh so we'll see about that bracket for the uh the worst talkers. We maybe we'll do that next week. On Thursday, we're going to do our Money in the Bank prediction show, Money in the Bank this Saturday. Uh coming from the O2 Arena. It'll be an afternoon pay-per-view, so if you are watching, just pay attention to that. It starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh so just be wary of that. And uh we will see you next time. We much appreciate it. And uh as always, check out our socials. MR Wrestling Pod, all that stuff, YouTube, everything will be updated. And we want to enjoy Raw tonight. <laughs>